0: Hey, this morning, I want to look at a message called uh, written for our admonition, our uh, exhortation, our warning, and we're picking it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's read from 1 through 13, and it says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who? But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, application, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except that you may run what you are able but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened the Bible, Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would open us up. As we know, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and it is a place where a church needed to be, God. It was a vile place. It was a wicked place. And what a perfect place to plant a church. But beyond that, God, as we look to what Paul instructs the Corinthians, we ask that you would instruct us. We ask, God, that you would give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is speaking to us individually. And then, congregationally, Lord God, for this church here in Richmond. Father, we've come to hear from you. Please go beyond my notes, God. and Any little silly thing I may say, Lord. But we take your word serious. And so this is a time where we want to hear from you, Lord. Help us to leave different in the way we came, God. For if we don't, Lord, we haven't accomplished your will. We haven't accomplished, Spirit, what you want from us or of us. So have your way. Open our hearts. Open our ears. But we ask it in Jesus' precious name. And this morning that we're looking at a message called Written for Our Admonition. And when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in this section that we're at, really starting in chapter 7, he began to answer questions that they had asked of Paul. You know, and Paul is just answering these questions. And in chapter 9, Paul was going over our liberty. And And in essence, what Paul said is, guys, listen, our liberty isn't a license for us to sin. Our liberty should be should not be taken as this if it 's my right, I can do it I, I have no conviction for this, but Paul makes mention of this don 't stumble another brother amen don 't stumble, stumble another sister, and watch out for your witness in the world for those who have yet to come to christ and so it was just Paul was just answering these questions for them and he left off there in chapter 9 verse 24 and he speaks here it's interesting there in chapter 9 verse 24 he's illustrating to us that our walk in Christ is a race I love that our walk is a race you know and he says in verse 9 24 do you not know that those who run in a race all run Everyone runs, well, no dough, huh? You sign up for a, for a race, you're all going to run, hopefully, unless you're that, that one guy that decided he was going to cut in at the last mile and get the award, but you get caught in doing that. See, Paul now wants to go from the liberty aspect that, yes, we have our rights, we have our liberty, but we also have the Holy Spirit. We have that conviction. We, ha- we have to watch out to how we, you know, exercise our liberty, we don't want anybody to stumble. And then Paul says, look at it, guys, it's like a race. And we're all in this race. He says to the church, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Obtain what? Obtain the prize. Take notice of Paul's use of the word all. It speaks of runners in general, but Christians by example. Because he's going he's to utilize that word all, as we just read in chapter 10, to say that nobody was without any of the blessings of God. There was nobody shortchanged as God moved, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, as God took Israel out of Egypt. Everybody had all the blessings of God. And in a race, everybody starts out the same way. And here he's telling this to the Christians, that by example, that we are in this race. He tells the church to run in such a way that we may obtain the prize. Doing so in our liberty and not to stumble anyone on the way. Paul calls it a crown or prize. Not one made of leaves, as you know. They had the isthmus games there at Corinthia, at Corinth. They were second to the Olympics. You've studied it, you're well taught here. And when you won a certain event, you got a what? A, A wreath, a crown, right? But it was made out of leaves. But you, you, you fought, you, you, you ran, you, you did everything that you could to get that prize. Well, here Paul speaks of an imperishable crown, uh, a crown that will not fade away. A crown given to those who enter the presence of our Lord. He reminds them that that's, what we're, that's our reward. And to hear the words, well done. Good and faithful servant. Now, Paul, in the following chapter, here in chapter 10, will explain to us that in running our race, listen please, the past is the key to the present. The past is the key to the present. Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to take the church at Corinth and us this morning back to Exodus, back to the Old Testament. Back to his heritage. And that's what he's going to do. And whether they ran a good race or a bad race, there is much to be learned as we are in our current race today. He gives us the keys to the past to help us in our race with the Lord today. And so let's read. And, and although this was written to the Corinth, to the church at Corinth, it's written to us today because it's God's holy word. God breathed. Amen. All right. All right. Well, he begins in verse 1 through 4, and here Paul uses his own ancestors, as I said, to illustrate how they ran the race at that time under the leadership of who? The leadership of Moses. Here Paul takes us back to Egypt and Israel's historic exodus. We remember in Exodus chapter 3, and I love this. In Exodus chapter 3, he says, Then the Lord told him, that is Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And I love this right here. So I have come what? I have come down to rescue them. Did you ever see that in the word before? I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. I have that in my office. I have that verse in my office. I have come down to rescue them. Because we're going to parallel that in the book of John here in a minute. God says, I have come down. And of course, as he has come down, as he's heard, as he's seen the cries, as he's heard of the distress. And here God initiated the rescue of his people. And and he'll utilize a man and his brother as the priest to help in this, to assist in this. Because God always uses us. He always uses man. We are his vessels. We are his hands, his feet, his voice. And so he says here that he, he, he Paul will summarize that rescue and, and the lessons and lessons that we can learn from today. <clears throat> and so he says, moreover, brethren, in chapter 10, verse 1, once again, I do not want you to be under unaware, I do not want you to be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud. What cloud was he speaking of? He's speaking of the Shekinah glory, not the Chicano glory. You get Chicano glory at my house. Don't sit on my chair. Other than that, you're welcome, man. Come on in and everybody loves you and we hug you and, you know, wash your feet. You sit on my chair, you're going to get something else. (laughs) But the cloud he's speaking of is Chicano glory. I'm like, uh, never mind. The pillar of cloud he's speaking of. The pillar of, of the cloud in the day, the pillar of the fire at night that followed Israel, man. That followed them. And what blew me away as I'm studying this, as I'm reading what Paul is saying and re- reviewing this whole historical event, God never left them. And even though this was supposed to be an 11-day journey, and ele- can I say an 11-day race, it ended up being a 40-year crawl of disobedience. You guys know the story, right? But God never left them. Even in... <laughs> Even in their crawling, even in their, and well, look at this. We, we read it already. Even in their disobedience, God never left them. Maybe some of you have left God. Maybe some of you are in backslidden state this morning. Some of you are just not close to you. Just He has never left you. Well, I don't feel close to God. Well, he has never left. He's in the same place that he's always been. And he's just a prayer away for you to get close back to him. He's just a prayer away. I love this. He never left them, even though they were a bunch of knuckleheads. That pillar of God's presence continued. And it, what was it showing? It was showing his grace to his people. It was showing his grace and his mercy. That even though you are disobedient people, stiff-necked. I like that word stiff-necked people. I'll never left. i never leave you. That's my grace. That's my love for you. He will never leave us. He said, all passed through the sea. That's, of course, speaking of the Red Sea, as God separated the sea for their passage out of Egypt and closed the sea, drowning Pharaoh's army. Paul said, we all did it. All my ancestors, all, no, key word, all. All our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And this speaks of Moses being their leader. The initiation, the the identification of who was going to lead them. They, They were to be united with Moses as their head. They were entrusted to him by God's commission. God commissioned Moses. This is the one that you are going to follow after. God entrusted Moses to this people. Israel was Identified with Moses as they passed through the Red Sea. That baptism, as, as Paul spoke of. Today, we are identified with Jesus in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, right? And our baptism, our water baptism, is the outward expression of our inward experience. We are identified with Christ. He said, All ate the same spiritual food. Speaking of what? Sparks with an M. Manana? (laughs) Manna, yeah. Manna. And, and, And all drank the same spiritual drink. And this speaks of God's miraculous delivery of food and availability of drink. Guys, listen. In the wilderness. Anybody ever been to the desert? You don't see water spigots in the desert. And if you do see any animals there, they're going after you. But here, God... He delivered food. He made drink available. It was provided to them in the desert. And not only did he never leave them, he always provided for them. He always provided for Do you think God was going to take them out of Egypt just to have them die? No, he, he had the plan. And the same for someone here this morning. You think God has called you somewhere. God has no doubt beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know God has taken me here. And yet now you're going through a testing and you're questioning whether you should be where you're at. When you know for sure that God given you the scriptures, he's spoken to you in prayer. He's spoken to your heart. Do You think he's going to leave you out there alone? No, he's not. Do you think he's going to provide for you? Not going to provide for you? Yes, he is. And so this is what Paul is trying to tell the church here at Corinth. Not only did he never leave them, he always provided them for them. Then he wants to talk about that spiritual drink they were drinking. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock, here he gives us his commentary, and that rock was Christ. Paul gives us the commentary on the source of that water, the important type. They drank in a waterless, dry environment, and Paul says that rock was Christ. What's he mean by that? Well, I don't really know, but I know this. The presence of Jesus Christ was with them. He was that rock. He was the source of life, and he is the source of life, right? He is. He is our rock. He is our rock of salvation. He is what we stand upon. He is our source of light. He is, he is uh, well, there in, in John chapter 7, you know it well. There he, he cries out on the last day of the great feast of Tabernacle. Remember that? And what does he say? If anyone thirsts, let him come to who? To me. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What was the rivers of living water? What was that type? It was the Holy Spirit. He said, you come to me. I will seal you with the Holy Spirit. I will give you the Holy Spirit, which is the sign of our salvation which is a sign that God has come to live within us, to tabernacle in us. And he did this on the day of tabernacles. And he's standing there, and he's crying out, and he's giving the people, you know, come to me. He's giving them an option. You can come to me. He's inviting them. You know, of course, they, 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 they took him and put him on the cross. But this still speaks to, for us on that great day of feast. All experienced this blessing of God's mighty work. All experienced his grace. All experienced his provision. All of their ancestors experienced, his ancestors experienced his protection. All, we can say, experienced their salvation out of Egypt. And this is the emphasis that Paul wants to tell these folks. All had the same opportunities and all had a good footing on the starting blocks in their exodus. There was nobody who had a better starting block. I don't know if any of you ran track and, you know, you always try to get the better starting block, the one that wasn't always waggly and waggly and messed up and you couldn't get the right stretch. And There was no cheaters. Everybody started out in the good foot. Everybody, Everybody was provided for. Let us not forget that Israel, of course, in the past had the verbal word of God. And the church today has the written word of God. Hence, man is without excuse for not following the right course. God, praise God, as as Moses, of course, we know he had the tablets. But as Moses also came back and explained what God taught to him, thank God there was a scribe writing this down. Can you imagine that, dude? You know, hmm. To man is without excuse for not following the right course. There is no excuse for them not running the race set before them and finishing well as they headed for the promised land of Canaan. But in verse 5, we see the, the failure for them to finish well, at least the first generation. Verse 5, again, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, But with most of them, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Interesting how Paul lays that out that way. Most did not finish well, despite all these blessings and spiritual privileges. Only two made it to the promised land. Who is that? Anybody? Joshua and Caleb. Only two. Even their leader, Moses, didn't make it. God bless that guy. God took him home. God says, Nah, you misrepresented me, man. You remember the incident. God, uh, the people were thirsty again, constantly complaining. Moses has had it. God says, Moses, just go speak to that rock. I just, I find it funny that it seemed that rock followed them everywhere they went. Uh, One day I want to do a play at our church. I'm going to play that rock. Doom doom, 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 doom. You know, kind of dude just comes back and forth. That's all his job. And, and then a little spigot of water coming out or something. But, uh, but you know, he goes go speak to the rock. Go speak to the rock that had already been struck once. And what did he do? He went and beat that rock because he wanted to beat the people. He went and misrepresented God. He beat it instead of being what he was directed to do, and that was to speak to it. Let me tell you something. If if Paul says that the rock was Christ, then Christ does not have to die over and over and over again. Amen? Romans 6.10 says he died to sin once and for all. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins. Once. He was the propitiation Try saying that three times. He was our payment. He paid for our sins once and for all. He doesn't need to pay for it again. Once and for all, man. And so you can see the kind of type going on here and how Moses misrepresented God. Just speak it, speak to the rock, Moses, and water will come. And so here we see, interesting, guys, that 70 went into Egypt following Jacob. Remember that in Genesis. And at least, scholars tell us, at least 2 million came out in the great exodus. But only two of the first generation, those over the age of 20 years old, finished this race well on earth. Doesn't speak, you know, that, that <coughs> nothing to do with the people of salvation, you know. We can read the Old Testament. We, can, we know those who didn't even make it into the presence of God. But this speaks of the race that was set before them and what took them out. Well, well, these are the things that Paul is going to give us as examples and warnings. What kept them from, from reaching that? Why was it a 40 year crawl rather than an 11 day journey? How many of you feel, don't raise your hand, but how many of you feel like, you know, man, this is a man. A long time, you know, hey, survey your heart, man. Is it you, you know? And what do you got to do to get back on that quick, quick journey back to where God wants you? So anyway, he goes, tells us in verses 6 through 10, some examples and warnings. He says this, now, these things became our examples. Now, the word example in the Greek is tupas, not tupac. That's a whole different Bible study. He's, uh, you know, or to, or, or to pay. Don't laugh. No, it's the word to pass. And if I'm not saying it right, most of you won't know anyway. So I always add a little Chicano in there. To pass, man. But it's actually, it actually means this: the mark of a stroke or a blow. The mark of a stroke or a blow. Now let me give you a little word picture for this. It was first used in John 20 when doubting Thomas said. Unless I see in his hands the tupas that is the mark, the print of the nails, then of course we know then I will believe. We know the whole rest of the story there. That's the first time that word is used, that mark. That 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 the whole the the you know the the mark that showed the pain and the agony that our Saviour went went through for us. Here the word is used as a set example for others to learn from. That, listen, which leaves an impression. And this is what Paul is trying to get to these Corinthians. You you know the church. If you haven't studied it, get a commentary or get your pastor's teachings if he has taught through it. That church, man, that was a trippy church. I mean, these guys, you know, they needed some discipleship. And that's what Paul was trying to do with them. You know, and he's writing to them. It, th- this letter starts out really first as what well, we call it an exhortation, but he took the belt off, man, you know. What is going on with you guys? What is going on with you guys? So he wants to leave an impression on them of the things that they can learn and the examples that were set before them. He says this. Number one, and he gives us five examples and warnings. Number one, he speaks of lust to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Numbers 11.4 tells us that when the mixed multitude who also left with them, remember it was not only the Hebrews that left, but also the mixed multitude went with them. They wanted to go with them. They, they, and, and, and so whether that was right or wrong, we kind of see it that you know God's, I guess, mercy here, but... The problem with having a mixed multitude is, they began to bring an impression upon them rather than they being a, a witness to the mixed multitude. You see, I think we all should be have friends that are nonbelievers, and most of our some of our family members are nonbelievers, and there's nothing wrong with being with nonbelievers because we've got to be the salt and the light, right? And and, and we, we you know it's good to hang out with fellow Christians. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't have no problem with. With us having some non-believing friends, neighbors, and things like that. Because how are we going to show the light? How are we going to share our faith? But it's when they start to influence us, that's when we get in trouble. And here, in Numbers eleven four it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. See, the flesh, the stomach, the tongue, what they were once used to, they began to yield to those intense cravings. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? They lusted after that. That word for lust after is a word that means evil desire. Evil, a pattern of bad behavior. And this is what became a pattern. They began to weep. They began to crave. They they, they wanted meat. They and, and, you know, in truth, they spoke critically against the manna, the angel food that was provided for them by God. But in the heart, they longed for the old way of life. They looked back to Egypt. And by the way, when you're in a race, you never look back, right? We've seen it in the Olympics. We've seen it in, in ESPN if you watch any kind of racing, uh, you know, uh, running uh, events, that guy looks back, he's losing time. There's an art to running. You don't look back. You just keep forward. Well, they began to look back, and we know that that revealed a backslidden condition. They were, and the scriptures tells us they began to look back. They wanted all the onions and the, right, the cilantro. They wanted the tomatoes. They wanted the jalapenos. They wanted, see, that's the way I got to think, man. The leeks, right? The the greens, they wanted meat. Hence, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you cry for, what you, you know, murmur for. You want meat? I'm going to give you some meat, man. That's the way I think. Forgive me. God gave to them what they lusted for, meat in the form of what? Quail. Remember that? Quail was given to them for a whole month, and the Lord sent quail, man. There was so much quail, and it was down at their level that it was almost as if they took baseball bats and started beating this quail to kill them. There was so much quail for them. You want meat? Here's your meat. He gave them quail, but he also sent a plague. Possibly there was a virus within the bodies of these quails. And, and while the meat was still between their teeth, the Bible tells us. Imagine that between their teeth. You ever go eat good barbecue here? And 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 you and you're with your wife and, and you're just digging into that those ribs, you know? And uh what's that barbecue place that are real famous? buzzing heads. Buzz heads, yeah. Write that down, dear. Find the direction. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but she don't tell you you got Meat between your teeth, and somebody comes up to you from church. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, man. What's going on, bro? <laughs> well, you got a piece of cilantro right there, right in the middle, bro. I was like, what's happening? Well, as it was between their teeth, man, before it was chewed, the Lord struck the people, man. Imagine that. And the place where they fell, the place where they died was called Kibroth Hatava, means graves of lust. Just a the market there, graves of lust. So Paul warns the church, we should not lust after evil things also as they lusted. Number two, we're really on number two, moving on. Idolatry, verse seven. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Here, Paul is referring to the wicked worship at the bottom of Mount Sinai, which blows me away, by the way. When Aaron led the people in worshiping the golden calf. Think about it. As Moses is up on the mountain receiving from God receiving from God he's there they can see the mountain they can see the lightning they can they they know that Moses is up there and Joshua is halfway up there or in close proximity they know that he's out there getting the word from God God's own word here they decide that they can't wait for Moses you guys know the story It says in Exodus 32, then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings. Who was the burnt offerings supposed to be for? God. And brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, you may say, well, Mark, maybe they just didn't realize that they shouldn't do that. Wrong. Because Exodus 20, 21 as you were, Exodus nineteen twenty-five tells us they had already received the Ten Commandments. Moses had come down, gave them the Ten Commandments. Then he went back up, and it was in that second time that he went back up. In, in Exodus 20, 21, it tells us that he went back to the mountain, and it was at that time toward the end that God says, hey, man, get back down his mountain. I'm going to wipe these people out. There they are dancing around. A, well, it says the word play. The word play means childish play. It's the word, in the Greek is pezo, it means childish play. It's a word kin to empezo, which means mocking God or mocking Christ. And that's what idolatry is today, as it was then. It was childish, one childishly playing around, dancing around an idol in their heart. And all along they are mocking God, they are mocking Jesus. The third thing he says is sexual immorality. He says, nor let us get, commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Paul is referring to Numbers 25. When Balaam could not destroy Israel with his curses. Remember that? He was called to curse Israel. All right, I'm, I'm going to curse him. You ready? The Lord bless thee. God is good for you. You know, whatever he said. Yeah, he, no, there were no curses could come out of his mouth. And so he was a failure to what uh, Balak wanted him to do. But he realized, you know what? Flesh is flesh. He suggested that, he, that they be seduced. And suggesting that Balak invite Israel to a religious feast feasts. And it was there where they quickly fell into sexual morality with the, with the priestess of Balaam. And the priests. The harlots, and they got involved with sexual immorality. It was terrible. In one day, Paul says, 23,000 fell. And that's besides those who fell by the hand of public justice, because if you read it in Numbers, it says 24,000 fell. Sexual immorality, let me speak to you quickly, will only bring death, only bring division. Separation. We know that. Sexual immorality, adultery, fornication is only going to bring death, guys. I'm speaking to anyone here. Today's your day to quit. Today's your day to say, I sit, I'm done. Today's the day that you can leave here different and stop pursuing and flirting around when you know God hasn't called you to death. Moving on, he says in verse 4, tempting God, which kind of sits in with the same uh, sexual immorality because that's exactly what they were doing. If you read the story in Numbers 25, which I will give it to you as homework tonight, you'll see that somebody just, just went right in the face of the priest and everybody took a, a prostitute with him and went into a, a tent and decided he was going to commit fornication. Well, we, well, I'll let you read the rest of that story at home. I don't want to hear Bibles turning there. (laughs) But number the fourth one is tempting God or tempting Christ. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Interesting, the word tempt means to put someone thoroughly to the test. It is a sin, guys, to try God's patience, to put his grace to test, to see how far we can go in order to test if he means what he says. That's what that word means. I'm going to test God to the point. This really means if we means what He says, and we're so, you know, out of our mind sometimes. I'm talking about believers. Just because we haven't a lightning bolt come down, or we haven't, you know, gotten an automobile wreck coming back from a rendezvous or something, we think God's okay with it. Well, I'm. Thank you for your grace, God. He's not okay with it. It's a sin to try God's patience. In his own wilderness account, Jesus was urged by Satan to test his father's love for him. Remember that? By throwing himself down from a pinnacle of the temple. What's interesting is Jesus responded with scripture and that from Deuteronomy 6.16. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Of course, Jesus left off that last part. But what's What happened in Massa? Well, Exodus 17, 7 says, So he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? (laughs) Stand by, you'll see real quick. The ultimate penalty for Israel in tempting Christ, who is God, though, is found in Numbers 21.7, when the fiery serpents were sent to bite the people, and their only cure for the deadly venom was to look to a serpent, remember that, of brass, and they shall live. It was put up, Moses was instructed, put a standard up, put a brass serpent on it, and put it up as high as you can for all of Israel to see. And if they come out of their tent and look at that, they will be healed. I can just imagine some of those knuckleheads saying, ain't, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, to Go out and look at it. Uh, go out and look at it, man, and you'll have the cure. Interesting, Jesus referenced that event when he spoke of his crucifixion when he met Nick at night. Remember him in John 3? Because he's alone. He alone is our only cure for being S-I-N positive. Are you SIN positive today? Have you, taken, have you received the cure of Jesus Christ, his blood through salvation? You don't have to leave here a sinner without knowing the Savior. You can receive Christ today. You can receive Christ this morning. We'll give you that opportunity here in a minute. The fifth was complaining. Uh-oh. Mark I was okay with that and that and number three and number four. Now you're gonna bring up complaining. Hey, it's right here, nor complain, as some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. Guys, complaining can be very contagious. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. You know it is, right? You know. How many have had kids? (laughs) Especially in the church. Especially in the church. The word for complaint is gonguzo. It means to say things in a low tone. And isn't that the way it all starts? As a matter of fact, we get our English word for song, S-O-N-G, from this Greek word. It only takes one member to bring a low tune of murmuring, of disagreement, an attitude of disobedience toward a pastor or a member that begins to stir up the flesh in others. And it becomes contagious, and it becomes loud, and it becomes a chorus. That's not good. It's not a good thing for one to bring a low tone of dissension or division into the church. Listen, if you've got a problem, if you've got a, you know, question, if you're if you're questioning something, then go directly to the pastor. Go to the elders. Don't don't. Say, hey hey, did you see? Did you hear this? Yet this is what Moses was dealing with from the people he was called to leave. I mean, they hadn't shaken off the dust (laughs) of Egypt from their feet before they began to murmur, and it became very contagious for all. They murmured at the Red Sea because there was no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us here to die? They murmured at Mara, where they found bitter water. They murmured at the wilderness of sin, interesting, S-I-N, where they became hangry. Some of you are a little hangry right now. I'm going to end this here real soon, because they were hangry. They were hungry. They, 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 They murmured against the manna, the wonder bread from heaven, craving meat. They murmured against the spies that spoke of the giants in the promised land. Yet didn't listen to the two men who brought, yeah, there's giants, but our God is bigger than that. Amen? No, they didn't want to hear that. They murmured, they complained, they they and they brought this symphony of complaint to the whole of the generation. And it was that at that point. It was at that point and their complaint when the two spies came with a good report that they refused to accept that and it locked them out of that promised land, that first generation who took up the song of complaint. It says he was destroyed by the destroyers which spoke of the death. This first generation went from place to place in the wilderness leaving their bones scattered along the trail as Paul would say. And what blows me away is by faith in Egypt they applied the blood of the Lamb to their doorpost, believing God's word that the destroyer would pass over their homes and taking the lives of the firstborn. They believed that, they did that, they applied that. They were saved from that, and yet they did not look to the, that past glorious moment and learn to trust God in their present condition, that God would keep them and lead them in an 11-day journey to a land of promise. They didn't look back to history. They didn't look back. how faithful God was. If we can learn from these five warnings, our stride in this race, guys, will bring an awesome victory. As a matter of fact, Edmund Burke said this, those who forget the past are doomed to what? To repeat it. Paul says in 11 and 12, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Yes, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, speaking of pride, we are in this race, and we too can get caught up in many of these things. As a matter of fact, guys, That Egypt, when you speak of Egypt, Christians, listen, it is a type of what? It's a type of the world when you think of it. Each of us who are saved this morning have come out of Egypt, our own Egypt, where we were slaves to sin. And our master was likened to Pharaoh, best known as Satan. But through our belief, through our acceptance in Christ as our Savior, we we have experienced an exodus as our own. I told you I was gonna parallel that that Exodus verse with John chapter six, and in John chapter six verse thirty-eight. he says, For I have come down, just is Jesus speaking. For I have come down from heaven, and literally he did come down, amen. Read Philippians, you'll see what kind of attitude he has. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He would say in verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Christ received us. Christ rescued us. Christ will raise us up. And this all speaks of the security of the believer. But until that day... When we go home to our rest, we are in a race. And this race is not a competition against other believers. Contrary to what we see amongst denominations and non-denominations. We're not in a competition, man. We're on the same side. Some of us like to worship just a little bit different than others. And that's okay. The goal is not to beat or compete. The goal is to complete. Amen? To complete, to help one another on the way. If an individual is having a problem, you go to First Baptist, well, I'm a Calvary Chapel dude. Have a nice day. Hey, Watch it, man, when you fall. ooh, man, that's ugly. No, pick that person up. You're my brother. You're my sister. Man, it's about the cross. about Jesus Christ, man. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. History chronicles the past. And speaks to the present and is preserved for the future. Why? Again, in our text, to per- persuade others not to take a particular course of action. It stands as an example, a pattern of warning. And we need to practice that. We need to understand that. As a writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12, 1b, he says, Let us lay aside, that's put off, put off every weight. That's encumbrance, hindrance, or and." May I say sin? Every weight that's holding us back, everything that's that's slowing us down. Hey, take it off. Put it off. Hence, Paul again reminds us: therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, for we know, and Paul tells us we will be tempted to lose our stride, to be taken out of the race for a time, to lose our focus. Hence in verse thirteen, as we close, he says this: "No temptation is overtaking you, except such as is common to man." Why would Paul add that? I believe it's part of this section here. I believe why would Paul? Because he knows, he knows that temptation will overtake us. That so we're going to be tempted in this race that we're in. He says that no temptation will, has overtaken you, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Temptation is not a what? A sin. All three of you. God bless you. I love this role right here, man. I'm just going to speak to you guys. (laughs) It's not a sin to be tempted, guys. We think it is. So don't get caught up in that. But it is a uh, a a, (laughs) solicitation. It's a solicitation. Yeah. <laughs> it is a solicitation. It is a solicitation to do evil, to do wrong, right? A temptation that is common to man or after the manner of man, after the manner of flesh. May I say to lust, adultery, sexual immorality, tempting Christ or complaining, simply broken down. It's to the loss of the eyes and the loss of the flesh and the pride of life. And like a seasoned fisherman who knows just the right lure, Satan knows our areas of weakness and tempts us in that way. And don't say you don't have a weakness. Don't say there's an area that you're not struggling with. It doesn't always have to be perverted. Doesn't always, we always, preachers always want to bring the sexual aspect into it. It doesn't have to be that. You may be struggling with anger. You, you may be struggling with gossip. You may be struggling with anything. Hey, those things, those are temptations. And the enemy knows how to lure us into those things. But temptation is not beyond saved man's reach for help. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But Paul also reminds us of the grace of God that with temptation, there's a way of escape. He provides a way of escape. Not if, but when temptation comes. The way of escape, it's interesting. Look that word up later on. It means an egress, a way out, an exit. I used to work on aircraft. I was a jet mechanic on three types of aircraft. My last aircraft was the F-18. But every aircraft that I worked on, there was an egress system. Why? In case the pilot got in trouble. In case the pilot got in trouble, he was, there was a way out. That's what that word means, a way out, an egress. Boom. You have three different ways of getting out. If all three didn't work, in Jesus' name, you know. <laughs> Let me just leave you with uh, five ways of escape for us, okay, as the band comes up. Number one, prayer. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray lest you enter into what? Temptation. Really, that means give in to it. God's word. And these can be in any any way. I was just putting these together this morning. And Jesus is our example of this. Our primary weapon is God's word, man. When you're feeling that temptation, when you're being drawn in, when when someone even at church brings their little coal of complaint or murmuring, and man, it, it is attractive. Let's not get let's, let's 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 be true, honest. We love to gossip sometimes. What what happened? I mean, there's a whole industry about gossip, man. You watch TV, you eat tea and all these weird things, but The primary weapon for us is God's word. Hence, that's why you got to be in the word of God. Be in the word of God. Number four, um, uh, that's number three is God's word. Uh, Number two is God's word. Number three, I don't know how to count. I got it all messed up here. Total submission to God, James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the what? And he will flee from you. Submit to God. And sometimes it's a struggle, especially the enemies Dealing with you in certain things that you know you're weak in. Submit to God. If you've got a problem with alcohol, don't be going to the bars and witnessing, man. No, but I want to save my brother. Okay, well, go to the Denny's afterwards. Or wherever they go after. Go to the in and out Burger. I oh, no, don't have those here, but anyway. And then f- simply fleeing, right? Having a realistic view of yourself, man, concerning your weaknesses, And like Joseph, flee. Run, Joseph. Run. Run away. Run away from it, man. Take yourself out of it. You will be able to escape the temptation. And I'm going to tell you this, honestly. We're going to have some victories in it, and sometimes we're not. But write down 1 John 1, 9, because that's your bar of soap. If you fail in it, and we will. (laughs) Because we're weak, too. But I guarantee you, if we practice this, if we put this to practice, if we learn from, our exam- from the examples of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, if we learn from the examples of how faithful God was in our past, you're going to have more victories than defeat. I'm not going to tell you, I'll stand up here and tell you, no, you're never going to sin again, no. We are saved sinners, blessed by God's grace. Amen.